one of the biggest things that I love about living this way is that we have so much abundance. Mm. Like sometimes we're just overflowing in milk, right? So just I can collaborate and feed my chickens and feed my dogs and, and all my animals or put it out in the garden. But it is so much more fulfilling to come from a place where, hey, I have this abundance. Like I have a woman who just gave birth. They are not um, doing well financially. Husband is laid off. And so she just gave birth. And the first thing I did was offer broth. And I drove it to her because she just had given birth broth and yogurt. And Vietnamese yogurt is what we did. Our hay guy, he does not spray his hay. um, And I'm trading out with yogurt for him because his wife has issues, but does not have issues with our um, Greek yogurt. Mm -hmm. And what's great about that is he's invested in keeping his hay unsprayed, which I've educated him as well, because that hay is what is feeding our cows during the winter time. Welcome to Your Body's Way, a podcast for all of you health-conscious humans out there who want to nourish, move, and take care of your body your way. Not the diet book's way or even my way. Your journey to find your body's way through all of the noise and nonsense starts right here, where I'll be presenting and breaking down all of the current popular health practices so you can make intelligent choices that work for you and you alone. You know what they say, if the shoe fits. So I encourage you to take on what sounds tempting and to reject what doesn't. So let's dive into your journey to becoming the person you know you can be. Tamara Walpole, your host. Oh, I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest. She is so, so fabulous. Her name is Sophia Ng. And oh, I just, I just love her so much. Um, She's such a fabulous girl. And we had such an amazing conversation about her lifestyle and about her new book, um, The Nourishing Asian Kitchen, which I couldn't recommend enough. It's basically, if you're a fan of Weston A. Price um, and Sally Fallon Morell's book, Nourishing Traditions, it's basically the Asian version of that book. Um, Have you ever wondered, if you're trying to eat well, how you can make healthy Asian cuisine at home? If you've ever wondered that, then her book is absolutely perfect for you. Um, not only does it have really great recipes, but it also goes into her story and what her beliefs are and um, how she operates from home. Um, she has her own homestead and she's been on an incredible journey in the last handful of years. And she's had a real um, lifestyle switch. You know, she went from the tech industry and now she has her own homestead and she's, um, you know, supporting her community with her um, produce. And um, she's written a book that's a bestseller and it has a forward by Sally Fallon Morell. And it's just such an incredible journey that she's been on. And I could really feel her energy as we were talking and I can just feel that she's um, onto really big things and I couldn't be happier for her. So I'm really happy to um, introduce you to her and there's so much to know um, about the topic that she's talking about, which is finding, sourcing really good quality food for you and your family. 
So here is Sophia Ng right after this ad. I'm just going to cut in here quickly to tell you about an amazing supplement and healthy snack company, Paleo Valley. Have I got a treat for you. I love the way they only use the best ingredients that are ethically sourced for you and your family. And you can't miss the podcast episode number 43 with Autumn Smith, the co-founder of Paleo Valley, because once you listen to it, you'll see that she lives and breathes health for her customers and the planet. My favorite product by far is the grass-fed organ complex. I know organ meats are the most nutritious foods on the planet, but I struggle to stomach them from time to time, right? But I'm not too worried about missing out on essential nutrients like iron, vitamin B12 and CoQ10 because this 30-day supplement has me covered. I couldn't recommend it enough. My eyes actually feel brighter and my cognitive energy has definitely improved after the first month of use. So if you want the same for yourself, click the link in the show notes for 15% off your next order. You can thank me later. Sophia Ng of Sprinkle with Soil. A very, very warm welcome to the Your Body's Way podcast. I have to say, I've been so, so excited to chat to you because I could already see from your book, which I have here, um, The Nourishing Asian Kitchen. Sorry, there's a bit of a glare on the Kindle. Um, but from reading your book and from researching you and looking into your um, values and what you're doing, I just thought, oh my God, I just, I need to speak to Sophia because like, I feel like there's so much to talk about. I feel like there's so much to learn from you. And um, I just think it's just going to be a fabulous conversation. So a warm welcome. How are you doing? Thank you so much, Tamara. I'm very excited to be on your podcast and excited for this chat. Fabulous, fabulous. Well, we've just had a really fun chat um, getting to know each other. So it was really great. Um, and I'm so happy to hear that um, what you're doing at the moment is really um, inspiring and fascinating. And you're on a real journey. Um, and I feel like it's just the beginning. Do you feel that? Do you feel like you're just at the beginning of something that's quite big? You're just like, oh, God. <laughs> How is yes. that? Uh, it's, it's been a journey. I, I feel like it's been a decade long journey already. Um, and, and 2020 really was the catalyst for us to catapult. Mm. And so it's been a catapult since then, but we actually, if you've read the book, I, we suffered quite a bit of loss of friendships. And then we moved our farm. We started a farm in the Bay area to Northern California. And then leaving all of that behind our lives behind to rebuild again has been an incredible journey, but it has taken a couple of years to rebuild. And now I feel that the book is out. Uh, we just hit bestseller last month when we published Amazing <laughs> at both uh, Chelsea Green and on Amazon. So it's just been a, a new world. This is not my industry. Like we were talking before our call, I've my Bread and butter has been in marketing in the startup world in tech, but I can see how impactful this book has been for others. And I, I knew writing it that this was going to be more than a cookbook. And I'm really glad that the whole world now is embracing that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm getting messages from people all over the world saying, you know, we've changed our lives. Um, we've, you've inspired us to do X, Y, and Z. And something that I would, 
never received before in the tech world selling software (laughs) (laughs) I mean I think I said this to you before but I think it's worth saying it again because now it's going to be on the podcast but um the the reason why I think is because I can tell or I think everyone can see that you're just so in your zone like this is what you're here to do um you know how everyone kind of um has their thing you know that they're here to do and I just feel like you found your thing and people can see it people are feeling it and that's what gets people really inspired and really excited about what you're doing so um I think that's such a it's such a gift to have found that because it's something that so many people are looking for but they don't quite know how to get it but you came out of software and you're doing this great thing um which we're going to dive into in this episode everyone's going to know all about it um so yeah I just think it's such a good thing um now, okay, so my first question is, um, I'm so curious, Sophia, because like you said, you went from tech not too long ago. Like we're talking, when we, when were you in your tech? Was it three years ago? I Last year. Last I year. Full time up until um, when I started writing the book in 2022, in uh, end of 2022. Right. So, so a year. okay, so like not too long ago, you had no idea that you would have a best-selling book with a foreword by Sally Fallon Morell, who anybody who loves the Western A. Price method and the way Sally is like the queen, um, like how does that feel to go from one life almost to then go into this other completely different life with all of these achievements and accolades and like how is that for you? <laughs> That's a really good question. And as you asked it, I kept thinking, no, I think I've always been this way. I've just been closeted in in tech. I really couldn't share a lot of my philosophy. Mm. And so I followed Sally Fallon from the very beginning when I had my daughter and started looking into food, nutrition, and what I was going to put into her little body. That was 12 years ago, but I could never share that. I also homeschooled in tech while I was in tech and that was taboo. And then I home birthed and, you know, living five minutes away from Stanford Hospital in the Bay Area. And that was taboo. My whole family thinks I'm a black sheep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so I've always really struggled with it, especially as an immigrant daughter or daughter of immigrants, where my parents gave up everything for the American dream. I always felt that I had to repay them in a way. Mm-hmm. So whether that be success and, And to them, success is getting a six-figure paying job at a great company so that they could brag about it. And here I am going through that, making sure that mom and dad had enough. I had enough on my resume to really appeal to mom and dad so they could share about my success, but also dying in the process and really struggling because it wasn't aligned with my values because at home, I was living the way that I'm living now that I'm now speaking about, but I could never really share that out to the industry or the community that I was with. And so when I took time off, I was only supposed to take three months off from September to December 22 to write this book. And I had talked to Sally about it. I said, I, Sally, I have this idea. And uh, I I wanted to just write this for my mom and my daughters. That's That's all. It's been a dream of mine for 10 years. In fact, I thrifted all of those dishes that you see in the cookbook from 10 years ago, because as I've been, you know, traveling to different 
islands of, or different areas in the country, I try to find something that, that speaks out to me for this one day dream of writing this cookbook, but never knowing when that was going to come. And so I talked to Sally about it and I said, Sally, I think I could get it done in three months. And she'll tell you because I've heard her say it to multiple people. Oh, story. Carry on, go on. <laughs> and I was just at the Wise Traditions Conference with her uh, it, back in October of 2023. And she was walking around telling everybody, oh, you know, Sophia came to me and said that she can get this book done in three months. But I told her not this Christmas, but next Christmas. And I really thought that I could get it done. But I thought I could get it done the way that I had originally planned, which was just supposed to be something that I could print at FedEx, Kinko's, and then get it spiral bounded for my for my children and my parents. But she had a bigger vision that I didn't realize the the world needed as well. And I really didn't think I was going to write this cookbook for anybody else other than my own family. Mm -hmm. So I think that coming out of that and really when I signed the book deal with Chelsea Green, I had to get out of my own way. And I said, I'm not writing this cookbook for just the family and the girls anymore. I'm writing it for the world. And if that's the case, then I need to get out of my own way. I need to just own the fact that these are the things I believe in. And I believe in so strongly. And I've had mentored, but like quiet mentorship through, mm -hmm. you know, Sally or Joel over the years that, you know, when it came time to realizing get out of your own way, settle the imposter syndrome. And if this cookbook, I remember the one question I asked myself was, does the world really need another cookbook? Mm -hmm. And I went to Barnes and Noble, our local Barnes and Noble, and they had thousands of cookbooks. All over. Yeah. And I have this on my Instagram reel where I, in the, right when I did it, I did a whole video and, and I said, of all of these cookbooks, which one would you buy? And I said, none, even the Asian ones. And I said, well, would this cookbook be the one that you would buy? And I said, yes, I would. And I would buy copies to give to my friends and family um, just to show that there's someone else in the world that believes the things I do. And so because of that, I went back and signed the book deal with Chelsea Green. Mm -hmm. And I said, we're, we're going to write this because if I need it, there's got to be other people out there that do. And clearly it's been very... <laughs> well received right right I mean because I don't know if you've probably heard this before but so I'm just going to say it again I don't know if I said the title for the podcast so the nourishing Asian kitchen um because I feel like what going through it I feel like it's the Asian version of nourishing traditions which is Sally Fallon Rail's book I'm sure you've been told that before right yes yeah yes I, yes say it's like the sister companion <laughs> <laughs> right. And I think it's so needed because Asian food, as you go into in your book, like your book is full of stories, basically at the beginning, and then you've got a ton of recipes and the recipes are all classic Asian dishes. Like you have, I've got a list here, you have like things like dim sum, um, bulgogi, which is a Korean dish. You have fish balls and stir fries, like all of those things that the Western, we, we see that as like takeout food, or we see it as like, oh, we're going to have a treat. What you've actually done is you've taken this book and you've made them healthy, <laughs> like things that people can have every night of the week if they wanted to. And I think it's such a great um, thing to see that Asian food is now like super healthy and anybody can have it at any time. So um, you're of Vietnamese uh, 
yeah, yeah. background. And Tim, your husband, which we read a lot about in the book, um, he's of Chinese and Taiwanese background. Great. Right. So can you go into the Western A. Price, what gap in the research you found and what kind of led you to this point? Well, I like I said, I've been closeted mm. for most of my food journey and nutrition journey um, because I just never really fit in. In fact, our farm here, I've I've talked to Tim about maybe we just raise and breed all black sheep because mm. I fully <laughs> identify as one. <laughs> and I love them too. I just feel like everybody here's got white sheep, but like the black ones are so sweet and they I totally, you know, I've always been, um, you know, I never really stepped out to do any of the events at Western A. Price, mm. and, but I followed. I've just been quietly following and just, you know, liking and just loving everything that they've been doing. And same with the nourishing traditions. When I started cooking out of their, uh, out of Sally's cookbook mm. 12 years ago and started bringing mom and dad into the mix, like, and, and cooking for them, because they also live with us. One of the comments that my mom made was, both of them made mom and dad was that it was missing the umami flavors. Mm. And that's very indicative of Asian cuisine. What is umami? Just go into that. What is umami? Yeah, umami is that savory sensation mm. in your tongue. Um, something similar would be like when you eat soy sauce, mm. you have that depth um, uh, of the kind of the sweet and the salty and the tangy all together. And when we cook, we do cook with a lot of umami flavors. Um, so often that there is MSG that is chemically processed to mimic the flavors or to to create the umami flavor without the actual pr proper preparation mm. and cooking of our food. So there's, you know, but there has, I, I found that there was a gap. And throughout the years, I have been cooking with mom in the kitchen and trying to recreate these dishes, but with the Weston A. Price Foundation principles or Weston mm -hmm. A. Price. Principles. Right. So throughout the years, that's what mom and I have been working on. And when it came time to write the book, I had three months to write from when I signed to when I had the full manuscript due. I already had the recipes and I've had this vision of how I wanted the food plated and everything to look for the cookbook that um, when it came time, well, go time, I was ready for it. But yeah, it was primarily out of uh, this gap mm -hmm. of not having the other flavors um, and other cultures represented because primarily because Dr. Weston A. Price did not go to Asia. He skipped out on Asia primarily because back in the 1930s, they, uh, China and Japan specifically already was starting to take imported goods. So for him, it wasn't indigenous and um, ancestral enough. And and I totally get it. I mean, in my cookbook, I don't really have any, um, not a lot of dairy recipes as as our Asian culture. We didn't have a lot of access to it. When I interviewed my mom and my aunts, um, there were the water buffalo milk was what they had, but in very limited supply and only the wealthy could have it. And so what they had, what mom had access to and what our culture had access to was uh, sweetened condensed milk because it was already preserved and that we could bring in. So I could see that. And so then my challenge was, okay, well, let's go ahead and make sweetened condensed milk from our raw dairy, which, mm -hmm. you know, we have our raw dairy farm here um, that we have our own cows. So I didn't feel bad testing any of this <laughs> during the process, but yeah, it's been it's been a really fascinating experience to tie 
both the Weston A. Price principles with what we're used to eating. And mom has a very discerning palate. So as I was testing out recipes, I would give her, these are the only ingredients that we could use, mom. Can you recreate the recipes with what we have? And she did. <laughs> I love I love the story when you said you went into your pantry and you just started taking all the condiments out, all of the Asian condiments, and just like putting them in, in a bag. And your mom came over and she said, but what are we going to cook with? And you said, I don't know, but we're going to figure it out. Like that stuck in my mind for some reason. <laughs> um, it's a great story. Still stuck in my mind. It was very clear. I know exactly where we were. <laughs> and the argument that we had, she said, what are you doing? Um, but that was when I started learning about preservatives and additives mm. and how horrible and seed oils, right? So as I was going through the process, it was like, what are your non-negotiables? And of course, throughout the years, it's become, my list has become even more finite. Mm, <laughs> yeah. like I'm willing to accept and and it's kind of spilled over to other areas of my life too. So, you know, even down to like relationships and how much, because it's all, it's all related, right? Food, is, right? And holistic. Health. We're holistic beings. <laughs> relationships, um, just to maintain that good, like it's all mental health too. Mm. And um, in this process, like I also have my, I went to continue on to get um, my master's in clinical psychology. My dad had always struggled with major depression and obsessive compulsive disorder. And a lot of it had to do with food. Um, and because I grew up with my grandfather and my mom just reminding me that food is medicine. And my grand, I, I opened up the intro with <laughs> what my grandfather used to say all the time, which was eat to live, do not That's live. Right. But I didn't understand it until, you know, I hit my mid thirties, had kids and really dove into taking care of mom and dad as well. Cause now they're in their mid seventies and thinking are all these, th there's a time and place for pharmaceutical intervention, but I believe that we can prevent a lot of this or prolong the ability to live a healthier life without, you know, intervention until we actually potentially need it. Feel the same. Um, so in my family as well, we've had some illnesses and some losses and it's it's so heartbreaking. And and knowing that food has such a massive part to play in it, I just wish that they knew that. Like, but it's so hard to put our to put my ideologies on other people unless they want to accept it. Like you can't force someone to do something. So um, you know, there's some members of my family who eat lots of processed food and that's the way they do it and they're not going to change and I, I just can't change their mind like no matter how hard I try um but can I just ask so we were talking about Asian condiments and I just wanted to ask you because I love Asian food I love cooking Asian food um my dad is actually Chinese so um I grew up with a lot of Asian food and you know my pantry is full of this regular soy sauce and um uh, sesame oil and um, hoisin sauce and all of those things. And, you know, after I was looking at the Western A. Price philosophy and uh, so I've been learning, I've been looking at them just like, this doesn't look right. <laughs> like they're literally those condiments, the ingredients are like this long. It's like about 50 ingredients on the back. I'm just like, oh God, well, at least it's a condiment. Like at least it's just a tiny bit here and there. Yeah. So what would you say are the safe condiments to use? Like which ones did you keep that day when you were chucking them all out? Which ones were you like, actually, this one I can keep? Like, what do you recommend we should have in our pantry if we love Asian food? 
Well, I'm going to tell you, if you haven't read the book yet, then most all that are in your pantry are not safe. And so get ready to grab your, (laughs) get ready to grab your garbage bag out (laughs) and do the audit. (laughs) But there are a few brands that you mentioned some that that I mentioned very few. Um, And honestly, I've always been, my career in tech has been about optimization. So how do I use the least amount of things to maximize on the results? And when you're talking about for for food, I'm talking about nutrient density, the cleanliness, what's going to be most nourishing for us with the least amount of ingredients. And so there's a few brands, for example, the fish sauce, there's only one that's traditionally fermented through Red Boat, and there's limited places that sell it. But now I'm starting to see that Whole Foods, even Trader Joe's has carried them uh, here in the States that that that's great. I mean, it's a little bit more pricey. Uh, and then there are also soy sauce. I have mm. two brands that I use. One is directly imported from Japan. And I love that. That one actually tastes like the process, chemically processed version that I grew up with called Maggie, M-A-G-G-I, that my mom would say, yeah. oh, it's from France. So it was like another better level. So I grew up thinking, oh, this is French soy sauce. <laughs> oh, this is soy sauce from France. Like it's fancy soy sauce. Right. So my mom would call it Mazzy. And so we would just call it Mazzy. And um, but but there is this one brand and I do have it. I don't know how to pronounce it or mm. what it actually is. It's a Japanese brand. So there are Japanese characters on it. But I do have that listed on my Amazon storefront, which I can share with you and the yeah. audience. But that one a little bit goes a long way. And that is traditionally fermented over four years. They use the barrels. And I actually interviewed someone, a uh, Japanese person on my podcast to talk about that company, Incredible. which was really, really great to just get that. Cause that, you know, when we talk about natural farming and food, a lot of it is Asian, like traditionally miso, koji, Japanese, um, Koreans as well. And, and I use the same concept in the garden where there's Korean natural farming. And so it's, it's been a whole journey to understand, you know, the food and the farming aspect but of those two, for soy sauce and for fish sauce, those are two of the basic ones. You could use coconut aminos, um, and there are mm. clean brands there. But my mom and Sally, both my huge mentors in the kitchen, are not big fans of coconut aminos. And so I've also stepped away from it as well. And uh, if I do use it, it's just as a topping rather than um, a marinade or a seasoning that I would cook with. I've actually never used it and I've never actually heard of it until I read your book. So what is it? What do you use it for? Um, You would use it. A lot of uh, paleo folks use it as a soy sauce alternative. So it's a little bit of salt, but it's also pretty sweet. Mm. And so you can kind of achieve the same flavors with soy sauce, uh, with Mm -hmm. with coconut aminos, um, with soy sauce. But But um, the question that my mom had, and also Sally, as she was reviewing the book, and my mom has always talked about when I did paleo for a certain period of time, she said, I just don't know what that is or how it's processed. Mm -hmm. And the same with Sally, even though it's approved on the Weston A. Price shopping guide um, of ingredients that we can, it unfortunately, we just don't know how it's processed. And that's mom's concern as well. And Sally's concern. So mom has said, if you're going to use it, use it in limited supply and use it as, you know, just don't cook with it. Like Mm. don't heat it. 
So Okay. Um, soy sauce, you mentioned. Um, I just thought it'd be interesting to talk about soy sauce because traditional proper soy sauce should be fermented for I remember reading, I'm really getting this out of my brain now, at least like six months. I think it varies from months to years, but that is proper traditional soy sauce. But then in the supermarkets, the soy sauce you get, isn't. it's not the case with those, right? They, they're just not fermented at all. They're not fermented at all. And the same with uh, fish sauce as well. If you go, you'll see a wall of fish sauce and a wall of soy sauce, but fish sauce specifically, they'll put in fructose and high fructose right. corn syrup in there as well. And some sugars, which is completely unnecessary. I have a recipe for fermented anchovy sauce that we make with just anchovies, um, some pineapple, Mm. if you want to sweeten it up a little bit and salt. Mm. Uh, Red Boat uses black anchovies and sea salt, but that's it. And it's traditionally fermented and it's delicious uh, without having to put all of any of the other additives in there. That's completely unnecessary. And what are your thoughts on seed oil? So I have many um, Asian cookbooks on my shelf and the common oil is like peanut oil, cook with peanut oil. And I know I've done many episodes on seed oils now and um, I've been avoiding that as much as possible. So, But then I'm thinking things like sesame oil. I mean, I love the flavour and I just think, well, it's just condiment though, like it's fine. Uh, What are your thoughts on oils what do you use yeah so fats and oils is something that follows you know i follow the weston a price yeah in there so nothing uh refined like peanut oils like Mm. you were mentioning so the only oils that i would use is um olive oil although it's not traditionally asian in our culture but avocado maybe uh and i do talk about sesame oil and then there's toasted sesame oil. So those are the two that are approved. Mm. The Mostly, though, it is cooking with fat. So if you are okay with lard, lard is a good economical choice. But we have access to a lot of beef tallow. Mm. Um, and, we have, and we also have our micro dairy. So we make a lot of butter. <laughs> I love things just cooked with butter in general. And so the, with our supply of it, it's just great to be able to cook with butter um, and there's also duck fat, which I love. And we mm. have raised our ducks to enjoy the, the meat, but also the fat. See, this is where you cross over the two different yeah. cultures because you're using things like butter to cook with, but that's not typically found in Asian cuisine. But I just love how that that's what this book is about. It's about blending the two together and um, creating delicious, healthy food from it. So you've been talking about your homestead a bit, and I just wanted to ask you about your story about where you're at now with your lifestyle, because I know you produce your own food. You have a very close-knit community where you feed each other and um, you support each other. So for anybody who's interested in doing it for themselves and they think, oh, but it just feels like it's out of reach, you have been doing it over the years and you you've done it you've you've done something great you're self-sufficient so what is your story I, I think you started in San Jose right that was where you were born and then now you're in I'm trying to remember your location there's so many locations Appalachian, yeah Appalachian Mountains in Tennessee that's right and then you, you were in California before so and let's just talk about your um, journey and how you got to homesteading and you know where you're at now 
it's a, it's a, I'll, I'll shorten it and condense it a little bit, but essentially I grew up, my husband and I both born and raised in Silicon Valley, San Jose. And I grew up with my grandfather and my mom who my grandfather taught me a lot in the garden and my mom taught me a lot in the kitchen and uh, as growing up as a little girl. And then when we bought my husband and I bought our own house in Walnut Creek, California, which is north of the heart of Silicon Valley, what was going through our minds at that point was, you know, I already knew to eat organic food. I started looking into a food when my daughter was born. I was trying to make applesauce. And in these books, they would say, try to source organic apples to make applesauce because uh, your your baby's body is not yet pro- de- uh, developed enough to process toxic chemicals like um, herbicides and pesticides. But for me, I started questioning, okay, that's fine. I'll buy the organic apples. But when do I switch her out to our conventional food that we were used to eating? Thinking that homemade food is healthy still and not realizing looking into the quality of our ingredients. So I I just thought that homemade is still better than eating out fast food. And so because of that, um, we started looking into organic and shopping organic. And then I realized that, you know what, I don't think our bodies are ever developed enough to process toxic chemicals. Wow. That's, that's funny when you think about it, really, in a book. It's like, look, babies can't process these things, they can't process the chemicals. But then the assumption is that as we get older, we can. It's like, but then that, that indicates that we shouldn't be having it in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. Just like those questions of, well, that that's interesting. And that wasn't even a health book. It was a William Sonoma book that was handed down to me from a friend. That just made me question a lot of things. And then when we bought our house, uh, our first house together, I remember punching in, there's an app called Instacart, which is a food delivery service. And so I remember at the time, it was 2017, that before we even put in an offer for the house, I made sure that that zip code had four Whole Foods delivering to it just so that I could get access to my organic food. And just as, you know, we were getting set up for the call, I'm in a million places at once. So like, I prefer to have my groceries delivered to me. (laughs) It'd be great. Yeah. 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 I've witnessed how busy you are. Yeah. It was, it was, it was really, you know, eye-opening though, when Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon purchased uh, Whole Foods in 2017. And at that point I realized, okay, maybe organic is not as organic as we thought, so we're going to have to figure out how to grow this ourselves. So in 2017, when we bought, I started growing just uh, cilantro and scallions right outside in a planter box. That's in the cookbook. I have a photo of our very first one because mom had always said, don't even bother making pho, which is our chicken or chicken pho or, or beef pho, but it's a bone broth. Don't even bother making that if you don't have scallions and cilantro. And so I would, you know, just hack it sometimes and like, there you go, bone broth for everybody. But for mom, it was all of the sensory experiences. Again, she's a very, Mm. she's got a very discerning palate. So I said, fine, I'll just grow out the planter box. So you have it going on in succession plantings. I learned about succession planting then. And that was the first experience of growing your own food. Wow. Yes. Growing our own from seeds, you know, putting together a little planter box right outside so mom can do it. I just did it for mom so she could just, you know, stop telling me I need to buy this all the time. And then from there, I tasted cilantro, fresh cilantro from the garden in our pho. And it completely changed my perspective on 
fresh herbs compared to the cilantro bought organic at Whole Foods. There's a huge taste difference when you freshly take it and harvest it from the garden and put it into your food. Just amazing. So I was hooked, immediately hooked. And then after that, by, you know, the next couple of years, I put together some raised garden beds. And so by 2020, March 2020, I had four garden beds already planted out and we had, you know, Asian veggies in there. We had an abundance still with just four that we were sharing with other people in our community. Mm -hmm. And it was just great. Then March 2020 hit. And I realized that, uh, so all the grocery stores shut down and when they shut down, we didn't know when they were going to open back up again. So that was, that was really scary because I had both my parents with us. We had, um, you know, our whole family and then siblings too. So I'm responsible for feeding all of these (laughs) mouths. And so the first thought I had was we don't have a protein source. So that day, March 16th, I found a woman in Mill Valley. She's north of San Francisco, reached out to her. And I told her I wanted to buy three egg laying hens because I just didn't know how to raise chicks. And we didn't have time. I don't know how to raise a chick. And I just need eggs because the grocery stores are closed. So at least we could do is have like some stir fry with eggs, which we could we could survive. Um, this is just the place because my parents would tell us very many stories about the fall of Saigon in 1975 and what they had to endure. And the only other times I heard of the terms lockdown and curfew was in reference to the fall of Saigon. Mm -hmm. And back then mom would say, if you left your house during that time, you could get shot. And so that was in my mind, because I never heard in, in, you know, 30 some years of Growing up in America, myself and my husband, we'd never heard of this. Like nothing has ever shut down before for us like this. I mean, we would have like earthquakes or fires or, you know, potential rainstorms that we would, people would then go and clear out all the shelves, but nothing like this. Mm-hmm. So I said, we we have to figure out how to get chickens. So we, we went to her and I bought three egg laying hens for $300 each. <laughs> <laughs> can I just ask what is the normal price for a hen just so I can get perspective normal normal egg laying hen here where we're at where the supply is many and the demand is low is still about twenty dollars twenty dollars so yeah, yeah you, you overpaid massively yeah right. that just shows how desperate you were at the time desperate we were but also the demand was so high mm. and the supply is so low in the Bay Area, because everyone's in the city, we all have access to grocery stores. Nobody raises really their own chickens. So that just, you know, we we had to. And I remember on the drive back, I told my husband, Tim, I said, we, I never, ever want to be in this position again, where we have to worry about feeding our family off of three eggs a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, it really just started from there. That was the aha moment that woke us up to how fragile our food system is. And even though I chose a home that could have our food look like delivered within an hour to us, that was not even on the table anymore when all the grocery stores closed and none of the employees that worked there were deemed essential. Mm-hmm. Right. So to me, what I thought was insulated really wasn't at all. It was actually more vulnerable for us to be in that position. So, you know, as we, the next morning, we got our first eggs. And I think that was a moment that I was hooked. Like, <laughs> mm, I bet that felt so special. I was just like, oh my God, it's my own egg. Like my own hen. 
That's such a special feeling. It was. And the next day we ended up going back to her and we had some friends who said, can you purchase two more for us? And you raise them. So we ended up going back and purchasing two more. But um, at the end of that day, she completely sold out of all her hens because now everybody was starting to realize this. So we did get two, um, but we were raising and sharing with our community then. And so it's just been like really exciting. Then after shortly after that, I wanted to bring in ruminants, so animals that eat grass so that we're not having to worry about feeding them so much off of our land. And then that, of course, led me to buying more land if you want ruminants, you have to have access to more grass. So we went from a quarter acre to six acres north of Sacramento. And that's when we went to start really visiting other regenerative farmers. We went to Joel Salatin's farm. And I had heard of Joel when he spoke at Google headquarters 12 Mm -hmm. years ago. Um, And he was talking about food systems and inefficiencies. And I was like, okay, well, that's nice, but I still have my grocery store. (laughs) It's hard to let go of. You're just like, this is how it is, right? Right. That's the only way I knew growing up. Either you go to the American grocery store or we go to the Asian one, but there's always a grocery store for us. And, uh, and so when he talked about it, that's when I, we really, that year we invested in just learning from Joel. We went to Joel's farm three times in 2021 and then brought back everything that we learned and started implementing. We, my husband brought home a hundred ducks and, um, you know, they, we just, we just dove right into it. We'd ended up bringing in goats and sheep. So those were our first two. And I didn't ever think that we were going to bring in any cattle, just, mm. just they're huge. And we're from oh, the you city. You can't imagine it. Yeah. <laughs> they're huge animals. And our neighbor did, she, they had some cattle over there. And the fencing wasn't great. And they would have like their cattle would jump over to our property, which we were not a fan of at all. But when we were trying to get them off, I mean, they were running. They're big. They're like a thousand pounds per cow. And here we are like in flip-flops in California trying to like get them over to the other side of the fence. And I'm like, this is not how I want to farm. This is horrible. <laughs> I've just got a funny image of you guys running in flip-flops. I'm just running off to these cows. It just... Like typical Californians, not even realizing that we would literally have our toes crushed if this animal like landed on our feet. But, you know, you learn a lot along the way. And those are the funny stories that I can share about now. Um, And throughout that process, though, I realized that we really needed to find our community. There wasn't a good community of people who truly farmed the, the way that we farmed. And not only just that, but had that community mindset of being there for one another in case things break. And, and so that kind of led us to finding our community. I do lending. And so in uh, my husband's a realtor, he's homesteadingrealtor.com. And I do lending. I've been doing lending since 2006. When I was in grad school, it was either you become a barista at Starbucks or you become a real estate agent. So that's what I, that's the path that I took. And I'm still doing it where, you know, I, I knew in 2022 of January that interest rates were going to rise. And this is after refinancing us and a lot of our clients down to 2.25% interest rate in 2021. But here we were and really thinking, okay, if interest rates rise the way that I think it's going to rise, this is back in January 22, I said, well, we may get to a point where if we ever think about leaving California, we may not be able to leave because of interest rates. So I said, we 
and and home prices, right? And so I said, well, if we're going to leave, we need to think about leaving now. So we went on a two-week tour in January, February timeframe, end of January, February, where we toured Texas, Oklahoma, East Tennessee, um, and we've already visited communities along the way through our farming tours to learn from others and then bring it back to our farm. So in that experience, we reached out and sat down at coffee shops. I had luncheons planned where I would, Tim calls it, where I was community speed dating. <laughs> and I would go down the line and ask everyone the same questions, but I wanted to hear everybody's answers and see how they answered differently or the same and what they would do for one another, where they where they um, source their meat, how they source their vegetables, what are their perspectives on you know, health and food freedom. So it was just interesting to, 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 to go through that experience. And ultimately we found five acres here. We're in a modular home here in East Tennessee, but we needed just enough. We had 48 hours here. And what mm -hmm. I wanted to do was just to make sure that we had enough infrastructure in place to move our animals. Cause we ended up moving our entire farm wow. from California over to Tennessee, including our chickens and the ducks, because our little one really wanted us to bring her chickens and her ducks. And like, how do you say no to that? But it, our truck still smells like <laughs> chicken. <laughs> but yeah, and so here we are. And I realized, you know, it's almost been four years since that aha moment where we were driving through the Bay Bridge with three hens in a cardboard box. And I realized that from that moment to now, almost four years later, we have three dairy cows and we're bringing in our fourth dairy cow mm. to not just feed our own family and our animals on our family and using the milk and whey for the garden. Mm. We're also providing all of our dairy products now for our local community. And we do it in a way that we, we never anticipated for us to be dairy farmers, first of all, but it wasn't until that I started looking into how our farmers were raising their dairy cattle and how they were milking that even though they were grass fed, they were still being fed conventional grains during the milking process. And for me, that wasn't good enough. I try to stay away from corn and soy, unless it's like fermented, mm -hmm. properly traditionally fermented. So from that, I said, we've got to do this ourselves. And everybody here, we're in a food desert where there's not a lot of easy access to good quality organic food that Somehow we've just now catapulted ourselves into this position. And just last month, my husband and I um, purchased additional 22 acres to have our local farmers lease out and grow out food for our community because they were getting kicked off of their land. They approached us to find land and get financing. But because they're 1099 employees, they were showing decreasing income. They had just started this farm four months ago at that time when I was trying to to finance, get them financing. As a bank, that's too risky. And so there was an opportunity for us to say, and we really had to like pray about it and, and say, is this something we want to do? Is this a community we want to invest in? And is this what we want to do for our small local farmers? But we can't afford to have them leave. There's so very few of us. And although we're doing it right, we need to support one another. And if we're in a position to be able to, that's what we did. So we stepped in as a lender in this case, so that mm -hmm. they are um, renting from us. And I'm so excited to see them grow. And they're so excited. They already have all of these other local farmers that they're working with and, and 
I'm just saying, however you want us to be involved, we're more than happy to come in from the business perspective with our connections and, um, but they're doing it right. It's just a matter of like, let's, let's grow now because, you know, in the last two years that we've been helping homesteading families and small farmers, we've reclaimed over a hundred acres for our small farmers. And to me, to me, that's just like a big jab to Bill Gates <laughs> and <laughs> in my little lining. way, yeah. in my little way, you know, I used to, I used to um, protest at the steps of the Capitol in Sacra- Sacramento, but that went nowhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> so this, this is my way, way to get back. Right back. Yeah. I, I love in your book as well, when you said you, when you were kind of sussing out the community, you were just like, I'm going to ask myself these questions. What can I give to them and what can I learn from them? And do you still live by that? Is that still the filter that you use when you investigate your communities and you kind of figure out where you're going to go get go next? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I feel like, so one of the things that I would say is in my blood, being Vietnamese um, and also with my dad, is he taught me to play poker really well. And so, and also with my degree in clinical psychology, I can read people pretty well. And, and so when it comes to community, it's, it's really important to be able to know the people that you want to build with. Mm, And so like really good piece of advice. Yeah. Not just sussing out, like we knew that there was enough in those 48 hours. I said, if I can find three families in 48 hours, we can find 30 families when we actually move here. So that to me was my barometer at the time. And so now there are 30 families plus there's a lot of families here that believe the same things, but now you have to suss out which ones you can work with, mm. right? Because there's a different mindset between preppers and homesteaders in a way that there are a lot of preppers here. There's a lot of homesteaders and there's a balance between the two. There are people who want to hoard a lot of their things and, um, and want to make sure that they're insulated and that's great. And they have a lot of information. Um, and then there's others that, you know, we have the information. We know that we should keep some of this for ourselves, but we also know that we have to work with one another mm-hmm. and be there for one another because ultimately, like in order for us to not just survive, we have to thrive and we thrive with one another. Mm-hmm. But it's who do you want to build community with? That that's where I am in this part of my phase of life where great, the community, everybody's here, wonderful. But now who do you want to build with? And that's um, hard questions, but what do you, what are some things that we can provide? Because coming from the Bay Area, I'll tell you, my skills were building websites, doing marketing campaigns that can grow a business. But when it came to food, I was not a producer. I was definitely a consumer. Mm. And so through this process, it's how do we become consumers? Uh, sorry, producers not just consumers, and how do we train the children? How do we teach them to become producers and not just consumers? And there's places that we, of course, have to still consume. And that's the beautiful place of being in a community like this where we can barter from one another mm-hmm. to, and and I'll tell you, like one of the biggest things that I love about living this way is that we have so much abundance. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes we're just overflowing in milk, right? So just... I can collaborate and feed my chickens and feed my dogs and and all my animals or put it out in the garden. But it is so much more fulfilling to come from a place where, hey, I have this abundance. Like 
that's why I have a, a cutoff at 11 because I have a woman who just gave birth. They are not um, doing well financially. Husband is laid off. And so she just gave birth. And the first thing I did was offer broth. And I drove it to her because she just had given birth, broth and yogurt. And Vietnamese yogurt is what we did. Um, now she's about a month and a half. So she's already healed up. And I said, I've got extra chicken pho and I have yogurt. So if you want to come at 11, when I'm done with our podcast, then then come and pick it up. You know. And another person who's coming is our hay guy. He does not spray his hay. And he's coming at 11 too. Um, and I'm trading out with yogurt for him because his wife has issues, but does not have issues with our um, Greek yogurt. Mm -hmm. And what's great about that is he's invested in keeping his hay unsprayed, which I've educated him as well, because that hay is what is feeding our cows during the winter time, right? And so all of this is would not have been possible in California, mm -hmm. not have been possible with the community that we had. I don't know what, listening to you talk, all I can think is how how we've lost our way somehow as humans like what you're discussing now is how I feel things should be and how they have always been with our ancestors you know producing food bartering with each other working together to feed each other but that's somehow lost and and as you're talking I feel so inspired but at the same time I'm feeling a bit sad I'm just like wow like we just go to the supermarket and there's no conversations there's no community there um it's just stone cold manufacturing and you don't know where your food came from you don't know what's in it and you just buy from these massive companies that just have so much control over what we eat and I just I yeah that something fills me with a bit of sadness when you're talking because I'm just like gosh you know so many of us are still there like we're in that place where we're just buying from supermarkets and that's that's our life and we don't we don't know that there's anything else outside of that but listening to you speak I'm just like that is how it needs to be that's how it should be that's what we're meant to do so for anybody who is thinking of doing what you're doing and wants to take any first steps what are some of the biggest tips you have and are there any challenges that you've had to face that you think gosh I wish I learned from that I think start where you're at, mm. where you are and what you have. I've always had that mentality because I grew up as an, a child of immigrants. So we didn't have a lot and we lived in the city. And I would say if you are really learning, wanting to learn how to take back a little bit of control over the food system and the supply and the quality, start and you're liking Asian food, I would say even start with rice, like cook rice and you know, it's, it's cook it with broth, add some butter to it and add some nourishing elements to it, but you could do a lot with rice. Um, and you know, or my, my number one thing that I always cook at home, at least weekly is our chicken pho broth. I mean, cooks start cooking from scratch. Mm. And this, um, I just released last week, a chicken, my chicken pho masterclass online, where I show you exactly how to do it with, again, minimal uh, ingredients that you really could pick up from your small local farmer. Mm -hmm. Buy a whole chicken. Do not buy just the, the parted out pieces. I also have a video, a bonus video, where I show you how to part out the pieces because you're, you're saving a lot more money 
but you're also helping your local farmer who's growing it on their soil, who's going to be a lot healthier than if you were to buy from a mass produced Tyson's, right? Mm -hmm. That was grown in horrible um, living conditions and then doused with bleach because they have to follow regulations. And so these are the things that, you know, take back a little bit of your, your supply, your food, and that it leads you to your health and your nourishment. And you can feed, I mean, we just have so, we have so much extra. It literally is one chicken and I'm sharing broth with their, with her, that family to nourish and to heal them. But we have that in our family. We have that on the stove most days of the week. Um, another thing is help out with your small local farmer. Ask them what they need help in, whether it's weeding. Sometimes I've actually had a local farmer that tell me told me that he didn't want to have people come over to help them weed because somebody just went and plucked out all of his garlic out of the ground. Oh, and gosh. garlic takes like 10 months to grow. Oh, so I get it, but you know, help out your local farmer so you can learn those things and hopefully they can teach you and be there. And that's my other question to the farmer. Why weren't you there? <laughs> you <know? laughs> uh, but support your local farmer. I think that is so important. And we're putting our money where our mouth is. We have to support our local farmers because I'm literally seeing from the financial perspective how difficult it is for homesteading families or small mm -hmm. farmers to even get into the business so much so that I have to step in in this one particular case. Now, I wouldn't have done it with anybody else. These are our farmers. I know their philosophy. I know where their values are. I know what they stand for. So we are taking a little bit of a risk here. But at the end of the day, you know, we'll hopefully find another farmer. You know, like it's we have to be there to support our local farmers. Is, is business tough for local farmers and for it's small very farms? Tough. Yeah. And the price of land continues to grow, especially mm. in our area where the soil is very fertile. We get a lot of water. We have access to spring water. So it is um, very, it's a very good area to farm. But with that being said, the costs are very high. Mm. So, you know, we have to write a book. We, <laughs> we have to find uh, other ways to bring in income to live the way that we do, um, I'm sure that there are ways that we could make money off of our farm. But mm -hmm. for me personally, I I want to separate that because the second that I start charging people for a pound of tomatoes or you know peppers or things that I produce or sourdough bread, if I'm going to charge people for it, I know I'm going to start feeling that scarcity in me right. versus from a place yeah. of abundance where mm. I'm like. I I'm like overflowing with milk. Please take it. Please yeah. take my cream. Please make cheese. And if they come back and they want to give me zucchini because I have a hard time with the squash vine borers here. I have another client who, you know, sometimes when she has her garden, instead of just paying me for a gallon of milk or whatever, she'll, she'll give me zucchini in exchange. And that's wonderful because I just don't, I know how she grows. And so my job is <laughs> what I feel like my mission is if I can go out and teach people how they should be growing their food, how they should be feeding one another. It's just great because I can have people come here. Um, we can support one another. We can feed one another the way that, you know, uh, honestly, I want the highest and best quality mm. food, 
and the highest and best quality people, the highest and best quality like animals, you know, because like that's that. that's just we just have to raise our standards. And I think that for the longest time and how I was grown, like so what you're saying is to your point, it there is there was a lot of sadness and realizing we have been a part of the system. We didn't know, I didn't know anything better, but there is a cost to this modern convenience that I fell for, you know, hook, line, sinker. I totally fell for, hey, I'll buy this house, but I have to make sure these stores can deliver to me within an hour. How dependent are we now in this system? And my parents came here in search for the American dream to live our, our best lives. But I realized that as I was chasing that American dream or that version of the American dream, I lost a lot of my own personal freedoms, Mm -hmm. how I wanted to live, how I wanted to eat so much so that you're saying, yeah, the food that's in our grocery store is already dictated by these larger corporations. So if we can just slow down and really think about how we can take back a little bit of that control, take back our health and our food, that's how we change the world, Mm -hmm. starting with our own families. I think it's scary to think that farmers who are doing the right thing, that so many of them probably can't afford to keep doing it. And that's a scary thought. And um, it's that's why it's more important than ever that we support our local farmers. Um, you've mentioned some interesting terms, like um, you said, like grass-fed, grass-finished um, cattle, and you know, you've mentioned pesticides and herbicides. So if anybody wanted to purchase from a good source what advice would you give so for example with um beef for example can you explain some terms like grass finished grass fed like what are the differences what's going on here yes so typically you'll find that if you're going to look for grass fed sometimes in the labeling a lot of it is really food marketing mm. um they'll just put grass fed right and so you think that grass fed meaning this cow did not grow or was raised in the um confined quarters right and kfos and so they wouldn't be fedding all that grain fed all that grain and so you think grass fed is enough well unfortunately there's still i mean for me and western a price we uh feel that the cows shouldn't be eating corn or soy which are you know products that that wouldn't normally exist in their diet as well. So for me, it's just my whole journey has been, how do I get back to the land? Like, how did animals live from their physicality, like what their locations were, what their environment was, and what did they eat versus us having to like supplement a lot of this with grains to fatten them up. And in the industry, you'll hear grass fed, but corn finished and or grain finished. And the Mm -hmm. reason why is because it it has a level of marbling in their fat and their meat. So if it so just people, says grass fed and it, then it says nothing else about how it's finished, do you assume then that it's been grain, finished on grain or corn? I assume so. Right. Because then those who actually truly raise grass fed, grass finished, go an extra mile where they finish off the cow mm. to 24 months and they're not feeding any grain. So if you do grass fed, the cows could be finished at 18 months for example. And if you do grass-fed, grass-finished, where you don't have to fatten up the cow, you just have to go a little bit longer on grass, which for farmers, 
you know, you have potential for, it's just costing more time and resources to care for the animal, to make sure that the animal is properly rotated if they're due rotational grazing, but that there's enough grass for the cow to eat for the next six months, right? And so that's why. However, with our government regulations, to say grass-fed also means that, and I actually was at Polyface and um, at an event there at Joel Salatin's farm, and they actually brought in someone from the USDA to talk about this, where they do approve that if a cow has eaten a blade of grass in its lifetime, it can be labeled as grass-fed meat. Oh my gosh, you're joking. Seriously. Yes. And I'll go a little step further because now that we are small farmers ourselves and we speak to a lot of other small farmers, there is, when we first moved here, I was asking for where are your resources for for a farmer that raises both grass-fed and grass-finished beef? So I got a several few phone numbers from our local farmers and I called them each individually. And this is kind of my job as a Weston A. Price chapter leader. But on top of that, I, I go the extra mile because I am a farmer myself. So I asked them, okay, so you're grass fed, grass finished. And, and they, I had a several farmers just laugh at me and say, ma'am, if you, if you're here, you see all of our cows on grass. There's so much grass here. There's so much water here, right? That they're like, yes, our cows are fed on grass like what else would they be and I said okay that's fine well what are you spraying on your grass because I know of a weed that is very tough in this area and I know that a lot of farmers spray it's a broadleaf weed um, but they, they know that they spray for this weed and so they several of them have said oh well we just spray grazon but it's safe grazon is another if not worse form of roundup or glyphosate yeah wow wow so now that's why we have our own beef cattle. <laughs> You're just like, I'm sure I'm just going to do this myself. <laughs> this whole journey, Tamara, has been, I'm just going to do this myself because I, just, I, I, I see it. I know what I'm doing. I just see <laughs> and it. I, but, like, but like, how do people like myself and like how do consumers navigate this? Because, for example, we'd see the grass-fed, grass-finished, and we'd think that's the one to go for, like no questions asked. So, I mean, is there a way or do you literally just have to phone them up yourself? Um, the Western A. Price Foundation is a great start. Okay. But that they whole... have farmers that have like, they pass the regulations and like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hopefully there's a chapter leader in your area that has done and asked the questions. Mm. But I think that like for myself, I've had to ask the harder questions because I know what questions to ask mm. as a farmer myself. And um, same thing, like you could, our local raw dairy, when I, when I was calling around, when we first moved here, I said, where are the local raw dairies, real milk? And they said, oh, well, you should contact these people. So I contacted them. And then I asked them what they're feeding during their milking, because yes, they're grass fed, they're out on pasture. But then when they feed them uh, as they're milking, you give them treats, right? So they can mm -hmm. just stay still. Well, they're feeding conventional grains. So like, that's still not good enough. And here we are with a micro dairy bringing on our fourth dairy cow. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're like, I'm just going to do this myself. <laughs> I'm just, it's, it's, it's not, when people ask me like, did you always want to go into farming? They, absolutely no, mm. no. I would be more than happy to have my groceries delivered to me. I would be more than happy to support my local farmer, which I am clearly, but it was not something that was on our roadmap in the last five years to do this. Mm -hmm. But when you know too much, 
I just can't not do anything about it. Right. So, I mean, you've shared so much information. There's just, there's so much to learn and there's so much to look into. And I think what, what it comes down to is listening to people like yourself, but then also doing our own research as well and and sort of, you know, figuring out what's actually going on out there because it's so fascinating. Um, and I can imagine being, you know, having your own farm as well. You've just, there's so much to learn and you're like on the ground with it. And there's, there's so many nuances, basically, which is what you've just discussed, which is so fascinating. What is your dream for the future? Where is this all going, Sophia? I'm interested to know. What's going to happen? Do you know? Or is it literally just taking step by step? I'm taking it step by step, day by day at this point. Mm. I don't know. In terms of where this is going, I know we're a part of a movement. I can feel mm. that in my bones. and I can feel it. Yeah. And I think that I'm like happy to be a soldier in that movement. And the cookbook is what I knew was going to help catapult these conversations so that others can start questioning even their grass-fed, grass-finished beef. Um, But for the most part, it is just um, what is my dream for the future would be creating a world where our children and our children's children and our children's children, uh, children would, would know, would know of an alternative world where going back to the land and living the way that, you know, it was intended for us to live and occupy and treat it with respect, treat our animals with respect, our soil with respect, each other with respect. And it is all tied together, which is why I was saying, like, when you demand a higher quality in your food, it starts spilling over into every other aspect of your life. Um, I want to surround the children with the best of the best, whether that's food and people, um, and and welcoming others who also feel that compelled to create this alternate world where we're not going to be scared. We are going to be fighting for the future that we want our children to have. And that is the most important thing for me. And the only reason why we're doing what we're doing, this cookbook was for them, but the world that I want to leave behind for them involves finding the right people who are also aligned with our values of food and farming and nutrition and health and wellness and schooling um, and creating a world where they can be community sufficient together. Mm-hmm. And I believe that we could do this with all around the world. It's not just to where we are today. You can farm anywhere. You could create your communities anywhere. Um, whether you're still in the city or you're just starting in the process, or you may feel isolated because most of us are. Um, you know, there's a community here locally, but is there a community online that we can come and support one another too? And that's something I'm really keen on trying to solve too as well <laughs> that's part of the future plan as well like taking this online creating Maybe. software yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like full circle back to your previous work it's like, I think take- so I think if yeah. I could take all the skills and I feel like that's been the 40 years of my journey so far is taking the skills that I have already collected and is there a way that we could use tech for good 
right? Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. modern technology that is good. Like the refrigerator, the freezers, for example, that can hold our food, uh, that can keep things fresh and preserved. But also, is there a world where I can create something for the betterment of the world um, in a way that supports local and and not these bigger corporations? Mm, I love it. Oh, the general, this has been such an inspiring conversation. It's just, I, I always find when I speak to people like yourself that when I come off the podcast, I'm just like, right, I'm going to make all these changes. And I, I just think um, for me, going into my cupboard, going to those Asian ingredients, I think that's that's what I'm going to tackle first. I'm going to be like, okay, let me use your book. I'm going to try and get some substitutes in there. But um, I just wanted to say a huge thank you for coming onto the podcast. It was just it was such a lovely conversation. Um, how can people find you and follow your journey? What's the best way? Yeah. So thank you for having me on the show, Tamara. This has been a great conversation. <laughs> and we talk about all of this on our blog. Our family blog is sprinklewithsoil.com. And we're on Instagram, on YouTube. We also have our own podcast that is Call to Farms podcast. My husband and I are military family. And so we answered the call to farm and we would uh, we bring on guests that also talk about their journey and also want to inspire others who should start questioning the journey of their health, um, their food, their wellness, but also supporting local and and those that are looking to start a small farm or homestead themselves. I look forward to it. And thank you again. It was absolutely fabulous. Thank you. Thank you, Tamara. I'm Tamara Walpole, and you've been listening to Your Body's Way. If you haven't already, please subscribe, share, rate, and review this podcast. You can find me on Instagram as Tamara Walpole Nutrition. Join me next time for some more juicy information on how to help you on your journey to your best self yet. Your body's way is the only way. Chat soon.